Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Oreos, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 31st, 2020. This is episode 306. My name is Scott Magnus. My name is Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll check out who arrived, who departed from our dear Orioles during this trade deadline. And we'll also go around the bases to see if there was anything else worth talking about in this week that was Orioles baseball. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this evening? You know, it doesn't really matter what I'm drinking this evening, Scott. I I really want to talk about last night. Uh, I went out. It was my father-in-law's birthday. um, So we went and sat outside. My wife and I, uh, my in-laws, had a fabulous dinner. And Scott, I enjoyed a, a beverage which just tickled me to no delight. It was a tushy. I, uh, I had a, a tushy by uh, Bull and Goat Brewery, and it was it was excellent. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you had a tushy. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure that was a reminiscent aspect back to your American University days, but um, I'm glad you enjoyed Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Jake, yeah, I'm, big, I'm, big fan of the tushy. I'm going back to Roar Brewing, and I'm going with a popsicle or popsicle. It is a pale ale-style beer with a little bit of uh, citrusy hops in there. Uh, pretty decent one. Kind of finishing off my summer beers at this point. Starting to uh, you know, prepare for those pumpkin beers, the Oktoberfest that are coming. Um, getting a little excited. Um, a little bit more crisp air at, at night, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to some fall beer drinking. You know me. Uh, I'm a basic white uh, male uh, in the suburbs, and I, I love my fall beers. No bueno. No bueno, no bueno <laughs> at all. Folks, if you want to find out what we're drinking on a weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go on through the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's so All right, Scott, not a lot going on, but we did get an injury to uh, new Mike Wright, or as some people still insist on calling him, Sean Armstrong. He went down onto the 10-day injured list with back soreness. Uh, Interesting, uh, because as we'll talk about in a a little bit, the number of arms back there in the bullpen seems to be dwindling, uh, particularly arms that, uh, that might have been useful. Do you really feel like Sean Armstrong is ever useful? Like, has there is there a single moment that you can point back to and say Sean Sean Armstrong was pivotal in that moment in order for the Orioles to win this game? Oh, I, I think that Sean Armstrong is a, a real reliever on a real team. Sure, we'll, we'll keep going with that, right? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, like the guy in a bullpen. But I, I think I. Here's a question. So you're me. saying he has adorable children. <laughs> if he had been healthy, do you think that Sean Armstrong would have been a trade chip? No. <laughs> no. 
No, I, even I, considering some of the guys that we did manage to trade. No, uh, I, I, I don't see any upside whatsoever for Sean Armstrong. At least we have talked favorably uh, about uh, some of the other folks that had been traded, traded today and on Sunday. Um, and even some of the people that were put out there um, as trade candidates too. But we are still referring to Sean Armstrong as new Mike Wright. Um, does Mike Wright have trade value? I don't think so. So Sean Armstrong, uh, by by you know facsimile, uh, has no trade value either. He has no new trade value. A- absolutely. Isn't Mike Wright in uh, Korea? He is in Korea. Uh, I wonder if he has Korean trade value. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think he does. I think when I was looking at his stat line before, I think it was like mid fours. And I'm like, well, that's like two ERA better than he normally did in the Major League Baseball. Um, so no, I don't well, think Mike Wright has it, any value whatsoever in any league. If Mike Wright did have trade value in uh, Korean baseball, would the Orioles know about it because of their scouting ban? Uh, I definitely think so. I think Elias could put a mustache on and sneak into South Korea. <laughs> like like, uh, like the like Bobby Valentine. Ba- Bobby Valentine, right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, anything else of, of interest going on in the medical wing? I, f- I feel like for a while there, it was just jam-packed. Yeah, it was jam-packed. I mean, I think last week's segment, I maybe spent like 15 to 20 minutes on it. Um, Austin Hayes is still no timetable for return, which is, again, a little concerning to me, um, again, with that whole microfracture. Um, the Orioles don't seem to be making much noise about it. Um, seems a little odd to me, um, but I guess we'll keep moving on with Cedric Mullins in center field. Yeah, it's just a bummer because, again, this season would have been a great uh, great time for Austin Hayes to, to kind of get his feet under him as a major league player. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I guess if there's nothing else, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. All right. So there was an interesting development on, on Twitter. And again, we hold Twitter um, to the utmost sanctity. It is uh, what we are built on as part of our brand, uh, a bird's eye view. So Twitter came out with the following statement um, on Twitter comms. I'm assuming that's Twitter communications at Twitter comms. We've seen an increase in copy pasta in attempt by many accounts to copy, paste, and tweet the same phrase. When we see this behavior, we may limit the visibility of the tweets. So Scott, I, I, I see, I see this. And I just want to let me let me know if if this is where we're going. Are we about to emancipate ourselves from naivete? We are about to emancipate ourselves. You know, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I, I considered myself to be a a pretty uh, you know emancipated individual, one that is familiar with this kind of terminology, and I never had seen the word copy pasta before. Um, you know, maybe that's because I haven't been to many Italian restaurants um, as of recently. Um, but this was a new one for me. So, you know, I decided Scott, that means you're old. It, it means you're old. Scott. It, look, I, I don't get the whole burnt meme thing. Like, I, I don't understand, you know, why you take a picture and you put glowing eyes to the person and you make it look like it's like a tequila sunrise. I just don't understand it. Um, but anyway, I, I've never heard the word copy pasta before, uh, you. So, you know, I, I looked into it and I was just like, okay, where did this come from? Uh, and it seems that there is a, a certain aspect where, uh, folks have been using uh, copy, paste, and tweeting the same phrase to uh, be perhaps a little verbally abusive um, to uh, individuals uh, such as against the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, um, particularly from a specific subdivision of the partisan population. 
um, that normally doesn't reside on Twitter, um, but uh, apparently is, you know, making a big push over the next few months. Um, but it, it was interesting to me. I was like, well, how did this trend start? Like, how did this whole idea of copy pasta begin? You know, where does it originate? Um, and, you know, I, I came across this one um, Twitter thread uh, that I thought was extremely interesting to myself. It was written by Conspirador Nortino, um, and you can follow them at, at Conspirator Zero. Uh, and their tweet starts as follows. What is up with all these extremely similar tweets from enraged former fans slash season ticket holders? Hashtag copypasta, hashtag Thursday thoughts. And it's it's people saying like, you know, that seals the deal. I'm no longer a Cardinals fan. That seals the deal. I am no longer a Twitter fan. Um, that seals the deal. I am no longer um, a, a you know a, a Fox News fan. There, there's all kinds of these aspects of like copy, copy and paste the same aspect where you're basically just repeating one thing or another. And it got me thinking. And I'm like, that seems really familiar. Like, where have I seen that before? And I, I thought to myself, I was like, we have covered this before as it comes to this week on the Twitters where, you know, coming back to July 2019, the Baltimore Orioles decide to trade away Andrew Kashner um, and uh, Will Shiflett um, at Will61375, um, who is a follower of this podcast, decided to post out that seals the deal. I'm no longer an Orioles fan. I've been a fan since 1982 and a season ticket holder since 1996. I officially will not be renewing my plan next season, nor will I watch on TV ever again. Elias is the official, the worst GM in history. And <laughs> it's interesting to go through this kind of um, you know Twitter investigation in terms of like, where did this all start? Like, was this a situation where literally um, this is something that, you know, Orioles Nation grabbed, grasped onto and started off? But it looks like, you know, looking at the tweet histories from Twitter, it looks like the earliest tweets from this copy pasta, in essence, originated from Mr. Will Shiflett, uh, and it was proliferated by Orioles Twitterverse uh, to continue to basically run a, a mockery of it, as it were, uh, and and continue to push about this joke, as it were. And, and Jake, I I hate to say it, but um, we were caught up in this this whole kerfuffle, as it were, um, being one of the individuals that is called out in this investigation uh, as um, being uh, direct contributors to the origination of copy pasta, apparently. Oh, no, Scotty, Scotty, yeah. we've had MLB shut down our podcast and, and Apple Podcasts. Are we now going to have Twitter shut down our account because we've uh, contributed to copy pasta? Look, I, I think personally, you know, we can fully come out and say we are you know, individuals, um, we, you know, we, we actually exist here. We are in person. We have a voice to our, to our tweets. Yes, we did it in a mocking nature as it were. Um, but in essence, it, it's, it was just a joking matter. You know, I think if you look through the Oros Twitterverse, there are other people on here that we have to take a look at from a more, you know, copy boss standpoint, you know, I'm obviously looking at individuals that, you know, be from Australian origins, um, that claim to be a blogger, <laughs> but, but I'm also looking at like who could potentially be a bot, um, because bots are, again, the biggest, you know, issue right now on Twitter, um, again, talking to an Australian blogger, um, uh, but I'm looking at if it was like Matt Kremenitzer, who clearly is like a Russian bot, uh, responding to all these kind of tweets because look, I've never seen him in person. I assume he's a bot. Right. Exactly. And also he responds all the time to us, which again, clearly demonstrates bot like tendencies. Hello, this is Peggy. 
So again, I, I think it's interesting that uh, you know Orioles Twitter um, and, and the Orioles of 2019 are in essence responsible for um, origination of a bit of this copy pasta, um, and, and is once again uh, leading to um, issues of uh, folks indoctrinating that into uh, more maybe political targeting aspects against other groups and other organizations. Um, it is quite disgusting um, that so, Twitter felt so, felt the need to come, call out on. So misery in in the Orioles world has led to misery in the real world. Is what you're telling me? Yeah, I, I think it's the aspect of you know everything is connected on the internet, and um, you know people in essence didn't get the joke, and they said, "Hey, these are people that are equally as outraged and disgusted as we are. We are going to adopt this banner, and we're going to use it." against other uh, entities or organizations that we feel equally harassed about. So again, it, it started in humble aspects as it relates to, you know, folks picking it up, such as like the Chiefs, the Jets. Um, but again, it even comes back down to more recently, which is uh, in this past July, the Red Sox put out a hashtag Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, banner uh, to basically proclaim and uh, there was a bunch of Red Sox fans that basically put out that seals the deal. I am no longer a Red Sox fan. I've been a fan since 1972 and a season ticket holder since 1976. I, I'm in essence done. Uh, and we're continuing to see this kind of progression to basically target, um, you know, opinions that don't match up with your own. So I'm not I'm not smart enough to do this. Right. But I would really like there to be some sort of like list of. Twitter accounts that the tweet that that's it, I'm done text. And so that, you know, that could be uh, accessed whenever, you know, you're having a sports conversation and somebody tries to weigh in and be like, no, 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 no. You, you said you were out. You just, you leave. Yep. But to say you are coming back into a tweet or into a conversation that you said you already left in July of 2019. So you're no longer allowed to participate in this given conversation. But again, we're just as guilty, uh, apparently without any sarcasm tag. We, our, our own product here would get us kicked out. Yep. So once again, um, we knew how bad the Orioles of 2019 truly were. I mean, it was an absolutely horrific season. And yet still into 2020, one of the worst years in our civilization, and the Orioles of 2019 still are rearing their ugly head in the year 2020 uh, to basically bring about misery and woe, not just to their own fan base, uh, but to other individuals within our society uh, that need our utmost respect. Um, so again, the Orioles are the brand that keeps on giving. Will there be no end to their haunting of us? Uh, in 13 or 14 years, maybe not. <laughs> well, Scotty, something's got to change. And the Orioles worked pretty hard over the last couple of days to make sure that they did. Let's take a quick break and uh, and see what may have changed since we got together last.
So folks, the trade deadline was today at 4 p.m. And boy, was Jake wrong. You know, a couple weeks ago on this exact program, he predicted that many clubs would stay pat because of, you know, uncertain financial situations and further went on to say that the Orioles were unlikely to make a move. You know, in classic 2016 polling, I give you wrong again, Jake English. And this is exactly the kind of, again, lack of insight and discipline you give come to expect here at Bird's Eye View, where we say one thing and the exact opposite happens again. So whatever we say in this program this evening, you can expect the exact opposite to occur. So uh, let's go through. I really do. I really do appreciate the Orioles working so hard to make me look that bad. I uh, about to say all of Major League Baseball took pity on you, Jake, and said, hey, uh, <laughs> let's really stick it to that guy. Um, so let's start with Tommy Malone, who was traded. Um, we had talked about Tommy Malone before, and we thought that he was definitely a, a cheap candidate that could potentially pull in something. Um, you know, was traded for two players we named later. Um, I tweeted this out, and I said, I was, sh- I would, you know, nobody in um, who followed the Orioles thought that Tommy Malone would ever be traded for anything. Um, and to get two players to be named later, even if they're not on a 60-man, is just mind-boggling to me. Yes, com- really cheap talent. Yes, he's got a really good whiff weight right now. But still, it's Tommy Malone. And I think what we saw from Sunday Night Baseball, um, Tommy Malone is who we thought he was. Um, and I'm glad that we got anything of any value from the Braves in this exchange. Yeah, I, I can't get over it either. I mean, this is the kind of thing where, you know, good on the Orioles for getting something, anything out of them. And, you know, I clearly don't expect that those two player, uh, players to be named later will be, you know, the future of Orioles competitiveness. But, you know, he he was going to be, part, you know, he was going to be a free agent at the end of the season anyway. Uh, nice to see that we could get some something out of it it's a it's a good move absolutely and i mean you know looking through the 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 braves organization it's a pretty deep organization i wouldn't say it's top of the line but i would say that it's you know definitely top 15 um and again i think there's a lot of interesting names in that you know 40 to 50th prospect range um including some interesting dsl members um that i think could potentially come in here you know i talked a little bit about this on the locked on orioles podcast Feel free to give them a listen. Um, but again, I, I gave out two names on that podcast. Um, I think the Orioles are going to be looking for, you know, players to be named later that are going to be, you know, high K guys that, you know, are raw talent. Um, similar to almost like Tanner Scott, who, again, has a lot of talent, maybe needs some up coaching to get to the level that he needs to be. Um, but I think, you know, it's an interesting, you know, avenue um, that the Orioles are setting themselves up with, uh, with all these players to be named later. So let's keep going through the trades, um, and let's go to Michael Gibbons next. So, Jake, why don't you go through some of the prospects that we got through this trade? All right, so there were there were uh, two players and a player to be named later, Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vava. Both of these guys are, are 23. Uh, Tyler Nevin uh, played in Double A last year, and Vava played in, in low-level A. Um, they, they are respectively the, the 14th and the seventh round, uh, or ranked prospect in the Rockies organization. And I'm just going to stop right there and say, Scott, I'm shocked that the Orioles got that much for Givens. Like Givens is a, is a solid reliever and he has been good at times, but he's also been incredibly inconsistent. Um, and you know, outside of a couple of outings, he's having a, a season, you know, more in keeping with with that. Uh, I think it was 17 when he was just really good. Uh, but are you surprised to see that that haul come back for Givens? So I, I said last week's episode, I said, I think they'll probably get somewhere um, like a top 
10 prospect. I said like 10 to 14. And then I said, they'll probably get like a player to be named later. Like someone, you know, well off the prospect list, you know, 20 plus. I'm a little surprised to see that the Orioles got the seventh ranked prospect and the 14th ranked prospect. And, you know, there's even some folks that have put Nevin as the 10th prospect within the organization. Um, You know, that being said, I think Vava is, you know, the key critical portion of this deal. Um, I think he's a really interesting, you know, second baseman shortstop. I think he projects as a second baseman. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think it comes back to this point of, the Orioles continue to take this shotgun approach of going out there and saying, we're going to take this guy, this guy, and then we'll take one more guy. Um, not in essence, putting all their eggs in the basket of saying we want a top prospect and it's going to be either top prospect or nothing. But we, in essence, want to go out there and get some more higher upside players and see if we can coach them and provide some data analytics in order to improve it. But Valve is a really interesting player to me. I mean, I look at him and I look at, um, you know, his plate discipline, um, his ability at the plate. And I, I think he's an interesting player. I mean, w- we talked a little bit about this and, you know, one of the comments and quotes that was made uh, by the Rockies batting coach was he is a slower Garrett Hampson and or a better Pat Vlekia. Um, I mean, how can you go wrong with that if you're just better than Pat? Um, so I'm thinking, you know, if it doesn't work out for uh, for Taryn, um, you know, Taryn and Pat can move to Minnesota. They can have competing hamburger joints, and uh, we can figure <laughs> out uh, who claims the claim, uh, who claims to be the king of Minnesota meat uh, in the future. <laughs> this show, if nothing else, is incredibly self-referential. And if you didn't get it, guys, go back to the archives. Absolutely, the episode was almost worth listening to. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought that was a really good haul. And again, it'll be interesting to see who the players to be named later are like, obviously I would think that uh, Elias and the Orioles already know who, who they're getting. Uh, It's just a matter of, you know, in this weird season, you can't trade for people that aren't on the 60 man. It it will be interesting once those players are named to see what the actual hall is. Yeah. And I think it'll be even more interesting once we get through the season and just seeing does the organization come to, um, another decision like, you know, maybe it isn't a player to be named later. Maybe it is um, additional, um, you know, international free agency money um, that mm. comes back as part of the part of the aspect where the orders is like, hey, we we just need a little bit more money. Like, are you willing to do this? So, you know, I think at the end of the day, this is just giving the Orioles more options, whether it be a player or whether it be international free agent money for them to be a little bit more um, aggressive and then, again, taking more of this shotgun approach. But, um, yeah, I, like I said, the Givens trade was above and beyond what I thought they were going to get. Yes, Givens still has an extra year of club control, but he's going into year three of arbitration, so he's going to get paid four and a half to $5 million. The Orioles weren't going to want to spend that kind of money on Givens. Um, so I think it's a really good move for the Orioles to basically take advantage of the financial situation and at the same time, you know, pull in a second baseman that's going to be in their top 10 uh, from their farm system as well. So um, this is personally my favorite trade of the entire, um, you know, know, trade deadline for the Orioles. Um, I think the Orioles killed on this trade. And um, yeah, this was a really impressive one to me. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that one of these guys flames out as a position player, suddenly becomes a sidearm reliever, and the whole circle starts over again. That would be pretty funny that if Vava doesn't turn into a uh, a second baseman, he turns into a pitcher. That'd be pretty funny. 
All right. So we also, you know, late breaking for today, uh, traded away Miguel Castro um, for a player from the Mets called Kevin Smith. No, that not that Kevin Smith, the other one. Um, he was the Mets number 12 prospect. He pitched in uh, AAA last year. I'm sorry, double A last year. And uh, we'll either pair that with player to be named later or cash considerations. Um, you know, again, looking at Castro, does the number 12 prospect match up for what Castro is? I mean, honestly, I'm a little surprised. I understand Castro still has, again, additional service time. But, you know, as good as Miguel Castro was at the very beginning of the year, he basically has been exactly who he thought he was. You know, he's this up-down mm-hmm. player. And and you look at it and you say to yourself, what is Miguel Castro really going to bring this team besides just just innings? Um, and, you know, I think the Orioles have done a lot to try to turn him into something. Um, and it, it just never worked out. Where, again, if you look at Kevin Smith, it's a really interesting story behind him. You know, he started out as a convenience store clerk. Um, and then he... <laughs> He met this, you know, lady of his life. His her name was Amy. Um, she happened to be a Jersey girl, um, and they decided to kind of just hang out at mall like a bunch of mall rats, and uh, they've been doing pretty well with each other. That was a pretty long walk there, pal. It was a very long walk, but I had to do it. Um, but yeah, the Mets have called him like a, a fifth starter and stuff like that. Again, I I don't expect much from Kevin Smith. Um, but but that being said, if you could turn him into a serviceable bullpen arm or a longman. That's great. Um, you know, I think he's an interesting enough trade candidate that I'm just like, uh, that's great. Miguel Castro, it was nice knowing you. I am continuing to, again, take this shotgun approach of rebuilding my farm system accordingly. And these are the kind of moves that the Orioles were reluctant to do in the past because they liked their guys too much. Let's just put it there as saying they overvalued who they had in their own farm system um, instead of saying, we're willing to give up people that are on our farm system or on the peripheral in order to, in essence, regurgitate or recycle our farm system to look for additional talent that we may be able to, you know, find additional value in that is not readily obvious. Um, right. So I, I think this is a good move again of like, I don't think it's as good as the Givens trade. Um, but again, I think it's a positive move in the right direction of getting rid of Miguel Castro, who was going to offer you no inherent value um, this season and going into next season. So I want to I want to go back to what you said you know this this would never have happened before so yes, you're saying you you're going to look you're going to strike back is what you're telling me yes yes it's it's interesting to see that they've they've taken this approach especially though when we look at the way Michael Givens was talked about as being you know quote unquote untouchable mm-hmm. and then you know there were the the quotes that came out just this week talking you know referring to michael gibbons as an oriole for life um do you think that that was you know part of the negotiation process uh to make sure that that stuff got you know put out there in the media so that the price on gibbons would go up i don't know it was really weird wasn't it like i I don't have a really good explanation behind that of um you know maybe we're missing something that we're not familiar with but like i know michael gibbons was doing community activities is it just a matter where, you know, Michael Ice is saying that and just saying, hey, you're an Oriole for life and we want to have you come back in the future to do, you know, service activities and community activities um, going forward? I don't know. Like I said, um, I don't know. It's, it's very odd to me, um, just the phrasing uh, at that given time. Yeah. 
Who knows? What what does what does this trade deadline and, and the trades that have made this year? What does that tell us about um, the Orioles and where they are in their progress uh, of the rebuild? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we look at all the trades that we just covered, including you know getting additional players to be named later from the from the Dick Blyer trade, but also a player to be named later from the Astros organization with Hector Velasquez being traded, I, I think the Orioles are still in this mode of we need to be constantly putting in additional talent um, into our farm system because we're still not at the point where we need to be at this given time. Um, and I think that's what smart organizations are doing as they're constantly filling their pipeline and in essence kicking folks out that are no longer going to be part of their future plans um, that they say, this player is who we thought they are. You know, We can make do with that. But instead, the Orioles are saying, we're going to get rid of this player because we can't do anything more with him. And we'd rather bring in someone brand new to see if we can turn them from being a you know a replacement level player or a zero war player into something that maybe is a one to two war player. If we can get a one to two war player out of zero war, that's an easy way for a small market team like the Baltimore Orioles to see success as opposed to just hoping that you're going to hit on your draft pick. So. I again, I think they're taking that shotgun approach and they are hoping that, you know, Elias and Sigmund Dell can work their magic as it relates to player development and data analytics um, to bring about, you know, additional change within the organization. Is there anything to be said for even these guys who don't, you know, turn into the Orioles of the winning future? Is there anything to be said for the fact that, you know, we're stocking the, the farm system with these guys to, also, maybe be part of future trades. That's a right yeah, when the Orioles get to the point where they've you know brought up their own talent and they need to you know add a couple of pieces. You know, having this stocked farm system with you know top twenty uh, prospects from other clubs, uh, you know, may be valuable in itself. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there because you know when the trade was made for Givens and I was looking at Nevin, I was just like, why are the Orioles going out and, you know, getting a first baseman? Cause I really feel like that's what Tyler Nevin's going to be. It's like, mm-hmm. he can't play, he could play third base, but let's be honest. He really can't play third base. He's played in the corner outfield, but it was like one of these situations of, I looked at, I was like, the Orioles already have a bunch of these. Well, he could play corner outfielder, but he's really a first baseman. Um, and they, you know, Elias even said that Nevin will probably start in triple a, um, and play first base. But I'm like, why are you going out and getting a first baseman? Like we have plenty of those and they're a dime a dozen, but I think you're absolutely right there, Jacob, the more talent you can put in the organization, even if it's a duplicate position, it gives you the opportunity to say, we're willing to trade you an outfielder and this pitcher in order to get this person, or we're willing to trade you a first baseman and this pitcher um, to get this player. And I think that comes back to the draft of you pick the best player on the board. You don't pick to say, Oh, well, we already have a catcher. We already have a second baseman. You pick the best player on the board, and then you figure out eventually where does that all line up in a in a future state. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you, Jacob. I want to see you know people two to three people deep um, in the minors, um, so that it gives the Orioles additional flexibility to say, well, we really can't trade that guy because if we do, then we don't have a future second baseman in the organization. It's no, we can trade that guy. And then we've got two more folks behind him that are ready to go just in case. All right. So the Orioles unloaded at the deadline, made a lot of deals. That's good for the future. It's not so good for the present, though. How difficult is it going to be to watch Orioles baseball? 
I honestly don't think I'm going to notice a difference. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I look at Tommy Malone, and it's probably the only slight difference I will see of like, well, we're going to see some additional pitchers. We saw Keegan Aiken today, and I thought he pitched great. Um, but again, Michael Givens, I think it's softened the blow to know like Michael Givens walked out the door. You know, we, we saw Hunter Harvey come back in. Um, so, like I said, I'm really not going to lose sleep over not being able to see Miguel Castro or Michael Givens or Tommy Malone. I, I just feel like, once again, they were names, um, but they weren't names that were going to be part of the franchise uh, when the Orioles were going to be in contention again. Um, so they're not one of the names that I would be focusing on um, going forward. It's just Michael Givens comes again. I was like, up, oh, it's Michael Givens. That's nice to see. Um, but it's not one of those ones that, like, I want to see what Michael Givens is doing during this start to see if he has changed anything so that in 2023 or 2022, I know what I'm getting into with him in a future state. I'll say the only one that I'm kind of disappointed about was that you know, I was really rooting for Miguel Castro to figure it out, right? I was really, really hoping that Miguel Castro could, you know, <clears throat> become the pitcher that he showed signs of being every once in a while. Um, and, you know, I still hope that for him. It just it won't be in an Orioles uniform now. No, I mean, I completely agree with you. I really wish that the Orioles, you know, when they started out so good, would have continued to win um, and not gone through a series of losing streaks and then winning again and then going through a series of losing streaks. It's almost like um, mediocre baseball players and mediocre baseball teams at that have these ups and downs and ups and downs. If only. If only. All right. Well, that was the trade deadline. I was wrong. Lots of action, lots of excitement. Let's see what else happened uh, this week in Orioles baseball. Let's take a quick break and come back and go around the bases. Right, Scott, the last segment was my opportunity for Maya Koopa. We talked about how wrong I was about the trade deadline. Let's talk about you yeah. for a minute, shall we? Can we talk I about how wrong remember... I was in terms of Ryan Mountcastle and not really showing the power uh, as of recently uh, on the last podcast? And uh, Ryan Mountcastle uh, certainly answered the call and said, hey, Scott, um, Here's some power for you by hitting a bunch of doubles and a bunch of home runs. So, yeah, Ryan Mountcastle uh, quickly showed that power pop uh, like we were expecting him to from his scouting report. Um, Yeah, I I completely, like I said, it was great to see. Um, And like I said, it was reassuring to see. Um, And we knew he had it. Again, we looked at his plate discipline. We looked at how he was bringing the bat through the zone. And we're like, it should be better, but why isn't it? And it finally came around. It looks like he settled in. He became comfortable. Um, There was nothing not to like about the Ryan Mountcastle that we saw this past week um, and the power that he was putting up. Yeah. And again, you know, just like we talked about before, I'll be super interested to see what happens when the book comes out and he has to make that adjustment. Um, That'll be for sure the the proof of, you know, what a Major League Baseball player he's going to be. But for the time being... Lots of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I said it before on a previous podcast. He reminds me very similar of Trey Mancini in terms of plate approach and just kind of that power prop 
um, you know, not ridiculous power, but just really good um, fundamental baseball. Um, it would be, it's going to be super fun. I won't even say it, it would be. It will be super fun when Trey Mancini comes back next season and you've got Boom Boom and Mountcastle in the lineup uh, to watch them um, you know, go back-to-back. Uh, I think it's going to be some really fun Orioles baseball come 2021. Yeah, uh, that probably requires having a pretty decent center fielder as far as range is concerned, right? Uh, I would agree. I guess the question comes back down to, like, we've talked about Mountcastle, um, and the question is, like, is Mountcastle just going to be your corner outfielder going forward? Um, you know, I think if you've got Hayes out there, I think it's going to work out okay. Um, but, you know, I, I think we enter into the same, you know, you know, issue that we talked about before of like, you've got Mountcastle and you've got Mancini. Both of them can't play out there. And you've got Santander, Santander that you want out there too. So like, I feel like either Mountcastle or Mancini has to end up at first base. And then the other one has to go to left field. Um, I, I don't see another option. Do you, Jake? No, obviously one of them's got to play, uh, play first. And then, you know, luckily this is the league with the DH, at least for now. Um, so lots of opportunities to get him in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably putting Mountcastle in left field, and I'm probably putting Mancini at, at first base just to see what happens. Um, sure. You're right. Mountcastle could easily be a DH, but I'm still holding out hope that maybe Chancisco gets that DH role. But, hey, if, if Mountcastle is your DH going forward, uh, I'm okay with that too. Um, like I said, it, it gives options, as it were, in terms of, um, you know, who can play the various positions. He certainly is better than Dwight Smith Jr. I think we can all agree about that. Not at video games. Not at video games, but clearly at regular baseball. (laughs) All right, let's go into second base. We talked about uh, Ryan Mountcastle being on the way up. Let's talk about somebody going on the way down. What's what's going with what's going on with your boy Rio Ruiz this week? Yeah, I tell you what, Ruiz, you know, was a person that I was high on. Uh, I actually still am high on him. Um, but he's been horrible for the past two weeks. I mean, you know, past two weeks, he's got a uh, 172 Woba. He's got a 190 on base percentage, negative two weighted runs created plus over a two-week period of time. He's posting a negative 0.5 F4. Um, it's just been bad overall. Um, the one thing I will say is, like, looking at his numbers, the walk rate and the K rate, you know, at 7.1 and 21.4% um, equivalent, um, but the Babbitt's at 167. So I feel like he's not really getting some really good swings on the ball. Um, and I don't really feel like I see the power that I saw before. So I think he's in a funk. I think he's, you know, in, you know, a bad, bad streak. I think Rio Reese will get it turned around very quickly. Um, and I think he's going to go on these streaks. I, I said before, um, I see a lot of like Mark Reynolds in real ways where he's going to kind of go these ups and down patterns. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, this is certainly a really down portion. Um, and I, but I think he's going to get it turned around pretty quickly. And, you know, if he disappears for a little while, that's okay on a team that doesn't have him as the centerpiece offensively. Right? A- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating because you look at the lineup and you just say, well, if real Reese was doing, you know, any semblance of what he was doing before. Like we're talking about a completely different player, but you know, I I look at his power that has been out there before earlier in the season. I look at his scouting report and I say to myself, he's got to be better than what we're seeing right now. Um, I just chalk this up to just a really bad offensive performance. Um, 
during this kind of two-week period. But, you know, on the season now, he is at a 75 weighted runs created plus, um, a negative 0.2 F4. He's got to turn it around pretty quickly or else this could get really ugly really quickly for him. Sure. All right. Uh, let's let's wander away into third base. We talked at the top segment about Tommy Malone getting dealt and Tommy Malone really being one of the only consistent uh, providers of innings. So, Scott, I ask you, where are the rest of the innings going to come from? The team doesn't have to to fill a complete season, but they do have to play the rest of the games on their schedule. What are they going to do from a starting pitching standpoint? Well, from a starting pitching standpoint, I have no idea. Like, uh, I, again, I don't think any of us knew even coming into this season, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad the Orioles finally gave Keegan Aiken a chance to go out there and, you know, have a start. Um, but we've seen a bunch of really interesting folks go out there. I mean, we saw Jorge Lopez go out there um, and, and pitch pretty darn well. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was pretty darn well. Um, I think the Orioles are going to manage to kind of skate on by. Um, I think there's enough, you know, mediocre talent um, to, you know, in essence, get by. And even the bullpen arms that are, are have left as well. I think we're going to see Dean Kramer really soon um, to kind of fill in the bullpen. The Orioles are going to manage to, you know, skirt by with some really terrible talent um, and continue to be the team that we've seen this past week. And, and that's going to be okay because, Again, we're going to be able to understand who can potentially step up in big situations or high leverage situations and uh, who's more like a Cole Sulcer who uh, really doesn't have anything to offer. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we get to see more from the Bowie shuttle at this point um, because, again, you know, the Orioles have, have basically shown that they're committed to the rebuild, right, that they are committed to getting better at, at the expense of the the games that are taking place in the present. And if that's the case, you know, I, I'd like to at least get a sneak preview of, uh, of what we've got. So, you know, here's hoping that we, we do see players come up and down and up and down because um, looking at the roster as it, as it stands now, you know, we just aren't getting the consistent innings. And I, I worry about you know, tearing through some of these bullpen arms that might be useful someday if they're not destroyed now. Like, oh, I don't know, Hunter Harvey. Yep. And like I said, I, I think that we're going to see a bunch of like Cody Carroll. I think we're going to see a lot of Dean Kramer. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there may be one or two additional additions on there. But, you know, Cesar Valdez, I think, is going to get some some looks as well. Um, but I think Dean Kramer is going to be one of the more interesting ones to watch in the bullpen to see is he going to offer any value in as a bullpen arm uh, in the future? Because that'll tell us a lot in terms of what the Orioles need to do to get ready for 2021. How fun was it to watch Valdez pitch? It was really fun. I mean, um, he was throwing some invisibles up there, but it was fun to watch him pitch. Uh, he had some great command and great control up there. It, you know, when I watched him pitch, I immediately thought of Chaz Rowe. Yeah. Right. We, we pulled Chaz Rowe out of, you know, at wherever it is that we got him. And for a short period of time, he just had like this wipeout slider that was just the best in baseball. I it, it would not surprise me to see Valdez just be lights out with junk. You know, he's throwing, throwing just, you know, 88 tops, everything with, with movement. Um, you know, and again, fun story, coming back to the majors after a long drought. Uh, that's the kind of stuff when we're not playing well that is easy to get behind. Yeah, and I mean, there's other like no-name talents that we wouldn't have thought of. Anything. Like Tom Eshelman's a great example, you know, sporting up a 2.75 ERA. And again, 
you know, he's just doing with nothing. Like, there's nothing fancy about it. He's just got really weak contact coming off the bat from him. Um, so I think we're going to see this and be like, how the heck is this guy doing so well in this given spot? And they're going to also get in appearances where they're just getting absolutely destroyed and bombed. Uh, and you're just going to be like, well, that's to be expected. Um, again, we're just looking for those, you know, not great players. We're not looking for the next Zach Britton. We're just looking for people, as we pointed out, going into third base, just to eat up some innings um, and kind of see the season through and just see what we can potentially bring into 2021. All right, let's bring it on home. This team had a pretty decent start. At one point, they were 12-8. and eight. That is not the case right now. Are we watching a slump that the team is going through, or did they burn bright at first, and, and this is you know who they were meant to be? Uh, I believe uh, they flew a little too close to the sun. Uh, the wax <laughs> melted from their wings, and they fell 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 uh, and we're seeing that fall um, we need an icarus bell the number <laughs> of icarus references on this podcast is inappropriate uh, i about to say we do we do have a do amount of good amount of icarus references but um but yeah i mean i, I we said this when the orioles swept the rays and i said there's no way in the world i would have ever predicted that the orioles would have swept the rays and i think we watched you know, most of that series against the Rays this past week, and we're just like, yes, there was no reason why the Orioles should have swept the Rays earlier this season. I mean, they played two really good teams in the Rays, and the Blue Jays are absolutely on fire right now. Um, and, you know, they came really close to winning two of those games, really as close as you can possibly come. Um, so I, I do think a part of it is a little bit of bad luck, but a part of it is also there are better and there are more talented teams that they are playing currently uh, within the American League East, and they're going to take a lot of lumps in the process. I was hoping for better news, to be honest. Were you, or were you just like, you just wanted to have me lie to you and just be like, you know what? Everything is peachy. Everything's great. Uh, you know, everything is going to be great. They're going to score 10 runs every single game. Pitchers going to score, give up negative three runs. Uh, we're going to be in great shape. Well, I wouldn't have killed you to try. Uh, you know uh, that um, I am not an individual that is an optimist on this podcast. Uh, I have given up my naivety, and uh, I am ready to move on. Emancipate yourself. I- I'm emancipating myself. Yes. Oh goodness! All right. Well, we've talked. Uh, we talked a little bit about what's what's happened, but I think the real questions are: who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started, uh, mostly to let Scott go last with the rant at the end, because his uglies tend to tend to exceed the quality of my own. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead, and my good for this week is going to go to Hanser Alberto. After having a bit of a rough patch, he's back in the winning ways. He had a weighted runs created plus of 138 this past week. Just a 4.5% uh, K rate, uh, and uh, all of that predicated on a pretty impressive and, you know, unsustainable 450 WOBA. 
but this week, Hanser Alberto in 22 uh, plate appearances, which uh, is tied for the team lead. He was good. Jake, my good almost was my bad for this week, and I'm, I'm glad they're not. Uh, my good for the week actually was the Baltimore Orioles, and it was specifically for you know going ahead and saying we're not going to play. Uh, I think it was a really important moment for the organization uh, and the players to come together and basically say, we're not going to play. We're going to sit the game out in in combination with the Rays in order to kind of protest the social injustices that are going forth in this world. And in response to the Jacob Black, uh, Jacob Blake uh, uh, shooting, um, I was really kind of surprised um, that even up to game time, you know, there was conversations that the Rays and the Orioles were going to play. It didn't make sense to me. Um, and then where, you know, right before the game is about to start and, you know, the ground screw comes up and they're starting to pick up the chalk and pick up everything and leave everything done. It kind of, the writing was on the wall there. So the Orioles made the right call. Um, at, at a point I thought they were going to make the wrong call, but they made the right call to kind of sit on the sidelines and put in perspective, um, what's really important in our civilization and kind of pay highlight, um, to something that we all need to be talking about on a daily basis. Scott, I um, I just can't stand to hear that opinion. Um, I can't handle discourse, and so I'm going to take my ball and go home. I'm sh- I'm shutting down this podcast. So turn off your mic. Turn off your camera. Just walking away. I'm just walking away. I'm, I'm shutting down this podcast. I I can't bear to hear it. All right, folks. Well, I'll, I'll keep going then because Jake apparently is walking away from the podcast. Um, so I guess I'll go to my bad uh, for this week. Uh, my bad for this week is going to go to, again, we covered him last week, but I'm going to have to go to him again. It's going to go to John Means, who just can't seem to get it together. Um, you know, pitched in one game this week, four innings pitched. Again, just not a good ERA. Not getting any ground balls this year, which is a significant difference. He only had 23% ground balls um, in his last start. That's a, you know, far reach from the 40 to 50% that he was at last year. Um like I said, I'm really hoping that John Means figures it out by the end of the season. It was good to see him extend out his pitch count. Uh, it looks like he's going to be at 90 to 100 pitches in this next start. Um, but I really want to see a few positive starts from John Means um, to serve as kind of good progression going into the 2021 season. Oh, hey, did I say that I was shutting down the podcast? No, I'm 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 back. I just... I needed to take a quick break to do a temper tantrum and and uh, just for, forget I said anything. Okay, I can, I, we can do that. That's not a problem. Okay. My bad this week is going to go to the catching core. Uh, Pedro Severino and Chancisco had a rough go of it this week, um, and it's hard when both of them are struggling at the same time. Uh, Severino had a negative 19 weighted runs created plus. Chancisco had a negative 21 uh, weighted runs created plus. Neither of them accounted for much of anything. Both of them striking out with a rate in the 30s. Uh, just not not a good show. The the interesting thing though is that the both of them had a, a near normal BABIP, um, uh, and it just it just didn't work out for them. So it was a bad week for the catchers. Are, are you done? Are you are you seriously done? I mean, this seals the deal for me. I I can no longer be a fan of this podcast. I have been a fan since the very beginning in 2012. Uh, and I, I officially will no longer be doing this podcast. I officially will be unfollowing you, uh, from iTunes and I will no longer, no longer sit with you 
every Monday night to do this podcast and or listen the next day for all the flaws that we have in our vocabulary and verbatim aspects of it. Um, you were officially the worst podcast host in the history of all podcasts. Wow. Wow. That, that hurts, Scott. And it's not just your opinion that hurts. It's the fact that it's going to be copied and pasted hundreds and hundreds of times. And well, it just it hurts my feelings. All right. My ugly this week is going to go to Cole Sulcer. Cole Sulcer been removed as the closer. Can't believe we were in a situation that he was the closer to begin with. Uh, but clearly just not, just not getting it done. The walks way too high, including loading the bases and then <laughs> lo and behold, letting them score. Cole Sulcer, I was hoping would be a useful part of the bullpen, uh, a nice spare part. But when you depend too much on a guy like that, he gets exposed and he is ugly. So Jake, I'm back again. I'm going to finish off my ugly with Rio Ruiz. Uh, again, he's been absolutely atrocious for the past two weeks, but this past week he posted a 0.63 average, a 0.93 WOBA, and a negative 56 weighted ratings created plus. Folks, we've talked about this. Rio Ruiz is ugly right now. Um, he needs to get it together. Absolutely. No good. All right, Scotty. Well, uh, what do you say we, we uh, blow the save and get out of here? That sounds like a plan. This week for Blowing the Save, we have to talk about it, Scott. We have to talk about the Orioles' Yajits yeah, moment. Yajits? Today. Today. The game ended in very exciting fashion, and it was very, very reminiscent of the play that Jeter will forever be over, uh, over-complimented for. Pretty exciting way to end the ballgame, yes? Yeah, pretty exciting way to end the ballgame today. Um, you know, I was a little surprised. I was listening to the radio call for today. Um, and it was interesting because as soon as the ball was hit to right field, I said, well, that ties the game. Um, and I think Melly Newman was a little surprised that the Orioles actually made a solid play to save the game um, because she didn't get the typical like rise in her voice and get kind of excited. She's just like, oh, the, the, the Orioles caught the ball and he's out of the play. Like it was like almost like shell shocked uh, in terms of being in Buffalo. So, yeah, it was a fun way to end the game. It was a fun way to kind of get off the. The, the 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 issues that we saw this past week. Um, it was good to get out of Buffalo, as it were. All right. All right. Well, that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdsayviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time come and get social with us you can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com you can find us on social media on instagram facebook and snapchat but the best way to get a hold of us is on twitter where we tweet at birdseyeview b-a-l and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you all the fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe out there and let's go o's
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.